Welcome to Heart Shaped Pod, a Nirvana fan podcast, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Travis Clark. Hey everybody, welcome to Heart Shaped Pod. I am Adam Todd Brown. I'm Travis Clark. Travis fucking Clark. Okay, right. thank I you. didn't know thank if we were going you. with it the whole we, time. I feel like we have uh, to. Now we we're, have to, right? We're sold on it. We're I'm, I'm sold on it, too. Like, I say it in my free time now. Yeah. It just, it feels, it, it fixes the flow in between my two names. Yeah. You know? See, I go by three names, so I can't do it. Right. It would sound really fucking weird. Yeah, you don't really have Adam any... Todd fucking Brown. Right. Adam fucking Todd Brown. That, that just kinda... sounds like me having sex with yeah. a dude named Todd Brown. <laughs> which... That's fine. It's yeah. 2017. Hey, but everybody can have sex with Todd Brown. Everybody. Yeah. He's a real slut. He just goes around that, fucking podcasts. Fucking <laughs> hate that dude. Guy. He hurt. He, he broke. He broke my heart shaped pod. That's oh. what he did. I fell for him. Hey, that was a bitch of the show, everybody. <laughs> so how have you been since I, we recorded last? Good. You know, I had a weird realization about something. And, you know, I'm all about making things personal from my point of view because I'm self-absorbed. Sure. Growing up, uh, and I'm sure you had this experience too, you would listen to, let's say, the Beatles when you were in your early teens, right? Right. Mom and dad's music, playing on the radio. Sure. Something that you maybe liked but was not of your generation. Right. So you figure, a when we were teenagers, a top radio hit of the Beatles had been 25 years ago. Easily. Right. That's where we are now. Right. With Nirvana is that I watched one of those kids react to Nirvana and I've never wanted to slap a child more. Yeah. Uh, than when I watched one of those. Although there were a couple of cool kids. I'm like, that kid's going to be all right. Yeah. That yeah. kid's a problem. Yeah. I've seen that video. Yeah. Most of those kids are problems. Real They're problems. Piece, real pieces of shit. Those <laughs> yeah. kids. It's amazing how much you can see. Oh, I know exactly what your parents are like. I can see exactly yeah. who's raising you. Uh, but it's, that was a weird thing for me to think of. Like that's where we are now. That the stuff that still resonates with me and has a, a firm place in my heart is somebody's dad's music. Now that's where right. we are. That's just weird to me. Yeah, but it it is. I remember the first time I heard a Nirvana song on classic rock radio. I was like, "What is this?" Yeah, you ever drive? And that was like ten years ago. <laughs> you ever been driving in the car and you're like, "Wow, this station finally gets it. They got a great programming." <laughs> and they're like, "Welcome to Flashback Lunch." You're like, "Oh, son of a bitch!" Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I thought everyone was just catching back up to where I am, but no, I'm leaving. That's yeah, where I'm yeah. going. So, uh, what are we talking about today? We got another history episode. Another history episode that we're titling Serious Drummer Wanted. Oh, I love the progression. Like, this, this, is, this needs to be a movie. Like, I yeah. feel like this has not been mined enough in the cinematic world. Right, especially the early parts. Because the more we talk about this, the more we go into it, it really reads like a script. It almost reads like a script where you'd go... That seems a little much. Like maybe, maybe putting right. a little more realistic. Like, right? Like, you know, he lived in a place where he drilled holes in the ground so turtles could take a shit. I don't think so. I don't think that happened. Yeah, turns out that happened. It, it uh, totally happened. But this process of them trying to find a drummer and them basically being the grunge Spinal Tap, uh, amazing. Yeah, fantastic. And we uh, were skipping over. A lot of stuff about his uh, his relationship with a woman named Tracy Miranda, who he would eventually write about a girl about, which we'll talk about next episode. I think she's uh, she was kind of like the queen of the scene, right at the time. Like she knew everybody, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, she knew everyone. She had been to a bunch of shows. 
They eventually move in together. Don't worry. He brings his turtles. Good. Yeah. I was worried. They point that out, that he did bring the turtles. (laughs) And that they also had five cats, four dogs, and like chinchillas or something. I don't know. It's an alternative zoo, guys. Come on over. Yeah. I would never want to come home to that. Like, I I love animals, but. I do, too. But I feel like you could. We could smell that house from here. Yeah. I feel like that would be just a pile of feces. Yeah. Just a pile of gross. Maybe that's why it was called the fecal matter demos. Maybe. Because he was just surrounded (laughs) by animal shit. Surrounded by shit. (laughs) Ugh. So if you uh, if you want to read about all that stuff, uh, go read all the Nirvana books. Heavier than heaven. Come as you are. And uh, now we're getting to the stuff that's in the Kurt Cobain journals. The journals. Yeah. The uh, journals. That's another book you can buy, which super uh, interesting it is. And boy, do you feel like a creep when you read it? Uh, yeah, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't, and yet I own it. Uh, you know, like I, I have owned it before. Yeah, <laughs> like, but you see, you're in recovery. I'm still in the process yeah. of like, no, no, I'm gonna go read the dead guy's innermost thoughts that he didn't <laughs> want to share with anyone. That it literally says, "Don't read." They right. publish a page in the thing that says, "Don't read these." Right. As most journals, right. I think. I think it's accepted that if you find a journal, you're supposed to not read it. Right. Certainly or, not put it on retail shelves. Or profit from it. I mean, right. those are the two options you have with a journal. Right. How can I profit from this? Or this is someone's private thing. Yeah. Uh, so Courtney had to be okay with this, right? Or not okay with it. Courtney had to have some... I think she signed off on it. Right. I think it was the the rest of Nirvana that was like, uh, yeah, maybe... I don't like this. I mean, I've, I have... This is... Some of this is like 20-year-old Kurt writing stuff. Right. Or younger, yeah. yeah. Right. I, I'm... I'm way past that and i don't want you to read what i wrote last night you yeah. know like I, I i so yeah so i i've looked through it and knowing what we were going to talk about i have um i have one of the letters he wrote here to uh to a former bandmate yeah that that letter is a doozy yeah we'll we'll get to it so they're looking for a drummer I, I did you ever do this did you ever put a want ad out for no i've never been in bands or anything i played guitar but i never you, you know oh, it is the most humbling thing because you have to try and go how can i capture the attention of a like-minded musician in like four sentences tops? right and uh, i've put out a few of them in the past when i was a younger man look when i was a younger man i worked at a hot dog stand and i wanted to be in a band that's what you do when you're 20 sure so there was a lot of me calling the la weekly and giving them a rundown of bands that i liked as as sample like Uh, Must like, you know, Fugazi and put all the things in there and like call Travis and then the phone number and then not a phone call. Nothing. Never a phone call. After a while, I started giving them the phone number of the hot dog place I worked just because I was like, (laughs) just somebody, just somebody call. There was probably a little less of a market, though, when Kurt put this ad out because he was in Olympia, Washington. Probably, sure. probably not teaming with drummers like L.A. is. Right. Well, that's true. I mean, everybody here actually ends up playing drums because everybody's actually a guitar player. Right. So everyone's right. like, well, I also play. Like, that's every musician I've met. Yeah. Well, I also play. Great. Yeah. I mean, I'm that guy. I went to Just for Laughs last year as a drummer. <laughs> you know why? They don't make you audition to be a drummer at Just for Laughs. They don't check your credentials wow. at all. You can just go, yeah, I'm a comedy drummer. And they go, okay, come on to the festival. <laughs> comedy drummer. <laughs> I, I, I want to see you do a comedy drum set oh, sometime, uh, please. a lot of rim shots. <laughs> there you go. Thank you so much, everybody. So, yeah, Kurt puts this ad in the Rocket, the Rocket, which was a local music magazine in October 1987. 
Here's what the ad says. Serious drummer <laughs> wanted. All caps. Underground attitude. Black flag. Melvin's. Zeppelin. Scratch acid. Ethel Merman. Versatile as heck. Kurt. 3520992. Kurt places this ad in the rocket. And I mean, what do you think the circulation of the rocket, the Aberdeen rocket is? Right. It, it can't be 40 people. Is it Aberdeen or Olympia? Olympia? Oh, okay. Olympia, which All right. also, bigger town, but not that. I mean, what, what? Olympia, Washington. Yeah. And how many people are thumbing through it being like, well, I like Black Flag and Ethel Merman. <laughs> wow. This is my lucky day. I mean, I guess you're trying to reach that one person, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was trying to cover all the bases. Uh, so no one responds to the ad, but they, they end up putting wasn't dale crover dale crover had quit right right dale dale crover had quit so kurt places this ad in the october 87 issue of the rocket no one responds uh but kurt and chris start jamming with dale crover okay so he hasn't quit yet right so they they borrow dale from the melvins and they say come on over and play with us right right they borrowed dale because aaron burkhart was in the band but left to pursue a job at Burger King, Travis. Well, you know, look, they have a really good manager program. They you do. Know, where they they do. Can sit, you know, you start off assistant manager. Yeah. And then, I mean, look, uh, burgers weren't my thing. I was more of a hot dog guy, as I mentioned. But you got to understand, when you get call from Big Meat, you got to take it. Yeah. You yeah. got to go. And who could have known that Nirvana would take off the way they did? That's true. I mean, you're thinking like, hey, uh, this the band has a new name every week. Right. Uh, everybody keeps changing. Uh, there's turtle shit everywhere. I've, I got to go serve chicken fries yeah you know and they're still not nirvana by this point they've already they're already right. down their first drummer and they still haven't even settled on a fucking name <laughs> have they played yet they they remember that oh, they played the party yeah yeah, with yeah, that yeah, first yeah yeah show and they did a few shows in between this but uh yeah aaron burkhart leaves they place this ad no one responds so dale crover comes back and uh he had all of these songs written by this point which this is 1987 still. Yeah, and he has a bunch of stuff that's that that's not deep, deep cuts, like stuff that like Floyd the Barber's on that yeah, list. Yeah. Uh, the, I wonder if these are I didn't I met I, I made a mental note to go back and check, but then I didn't. I wonder if these versions, these reciprocal demos, are the versions that are on Incesticide. Oh, or if it's what we end up getting on uh Lights Out. Right. Uh, the, you know. Because like Hairspray Queen, Aero Zeppelin, Beeswax, Mexican Seafood, those are all on Incesticide. Right, right. So. But those are pretty polished on Incesticide. They didn't sound like something recorded for 200 bucks. Right, right. So I, I would imagine that this was the early early, early versions, early days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they, they uh, record this demo with Jack Andino for $20 an hour. Mm-hmm. And uh, that'll... That'll come up again, weirdly I, enough. I feel like that's like the kiosk at the mall. You know, like, want to yeah. make a record? $20 yeah. an hour. And you just go in. Speaking of that, around the same time, they also make their first music video. Yeah. Which just recently surfaced. And then you... It's, well, it, the article I first read it in, that video had been taken down. But if you go look on YouTube, you know, once, once it's up, it's up. Yeah. So but, there's like five different people hosting it now. And it was funny because... You tagged me in it, and someone else tagged me in it online, and I started watching it, and I didn't read the description of it, I just started watching it, and it was like, he kept doing this weird jump onto screen, which kind of looked cool, Yeah. but then I was like, wait, wh- where are the amps? Where's the, <laughs> yeah, nothing's where's the cables? Plugged in. Nothing's plugged in. Like, 
Where's it? I was like, well, they are. At, and this is this is how my mind works. I'm like, well, they are at Radio Shack. You know, Radio Shack, the high yeah. quality, yeah, <laughs> music Just equipment pumping through the walls. Radio <laughs> yeah. Shack. And they have one of those traffic light things that, like, you know, changes lights based on sound. You yeah, know? and it's like going. It's kind of spazzing out. Uh, but Dale really had a drum kit in there because he was really hitting the little ashtray yeah. symbol yeah. a little bit. Yeah, they were just, but they were playing along to these demos that they had just recorded to make basically. their own Radio Shack d- to make and, their first music video. And I got the impression that it wasn't one of these let's be funny and it's in Radio Shack. I think it was like no, we're no. Gonna, we're making a music video guys. Yeah, it, it they actually talk about that in one of the books that afterward like Kurt went into it thinking, well, we're a band now, we need a music video and then after he saw the video he was like that looks stupid. <laughs> okay, good. Done that. Good. Okay. Those special effects are unnecessary. Uh, there's, there's some star wipes and stuff yeah, in there. Right? Yeah, there's all the so 80s good. special effects. Hold on, guys. We need to solarize this real quick. <laughs> That's how you know it's a music video. And I think they were like on the fly effects that were probably just on in the, the camera. camera. Yeah. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> in camera. I mean, effects. I doubt they like took it to a Neve board and edited it up after. Probably not. Not in, Ab- not yeah. in Olympia, you know. <laughs> not for 20 bucks an hour, they didn't. You yeah. Know? So everyone go out and watch that. You can uh, just Google Nirvana Radio Shack. <laughs> it's pretty great. You'll find it. Because it go, if you go into it thinking like, oh, cool, I'm watching this early performance of Nirvana. Because at first I was like, oh, they're doing like an, not even an in-store, just a like, I figured one of them must have worked there. And it was like, oh, it's yeah, after it hours. Like after hours thing. But I thought it was like, well, kind of like There's how com- TVs on in the background. <laughs> kind of like how comedy shows are now. It's like, I work here, but the boss is gone. So let's do a comedy show. Yeah. Like yeah. I thought it was like, oh, the boss is gone. Let's put on a rock concert or a rock show, not a concert uh, <laughs> <laughs> for the five people that would have been there. And then it was like, no, you keep doing this weird jump that you think makes you like, because he, he does this leap onto. It's so weird. It's like, almost like a Muppet move. You yeah. Know? It's, it's. He's trying really hard to look super cool. Yeah. And it's... Which goes against everything that he also wanted you to think about him. Right, right. It's That was Kurt, though. That was that was his whole fucking thing. I know. Was dichotomy. It was interesting. <sighs> it's almost like people are complicated. I don't know about that. Travis. Okay, all right. Well, it's Here, a work- That's a leap. It's a working theory I have. Yeah. Is that maybe some people are more than just how you perceive them. Back to the lab with that. All right. I think we get everyone right away. You think so? Yeah. Hey, guess what? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guess what happens after the Radio Shack appearance? Someone gets fired. Dale Crover leaves the band. (laughs) No one got fired. I think he just saw that video and was like, okay. I can't. I'm in the Melvins, guys, and you don't know this, but we're really cool. (laughs) And we don't try this hard yet. So he becomes the second drummer to leave Nirvana before they've even settled on a name. This is such a running theme. Oh, that just, We're not even going to get to all the drummers in this episode about Nirvana drummers. Do you realize that corporate jobs have like kind of, in a weird way, gotten rid of two drummers now? Burger yeah. King took one, Radio Shack. Radio Shack <laughs> took the other. <laughs> and we're going to lose one to the law in a second. Oh, my God. Even worse. So Dale Crover leaves, but he suggests Dave Foster. And Dave Foster, solid drummer, but by all accounts, looks like a hick. Is this is according to uh, according to the 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 books, according to all interviews, by all accounts. But that was Kurt's opinion of him, though, right? It, yeah, but it was also kind of the the scenes opinion. Oh, okay. Of him. I mean, look, I'm walking around with a giant mustache right now. Right. I mean, but it's I'm, 2017. It's I cool know. again. Is it? 
I think so. I feel like I just got tired of fighting my inner uncle and just kind of let it happen. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I feel like I would be labeled a hick looking walking around like this. Yeah, but at the same time, it seemed like he was in a town full of assholes. So the the, the, the thing is, they're all hicks. They right. just don't all realize it. They Some of them have black flag shirts on, so they're like, right. we're not hicks. It's like, yeah, you are. Although I would argue in 87, 88, to have a black T-shirt in a very rural town, like yeah. you couldn't go to a Hot Topic and get one. Like You had to, you had yeah, to source one. You had to put some effort into yeah, you it. you couldn't Amazon that shit. Yeah, you'd have to get the SST <laughs> mail order catalog did, sent away. Did you ever hear, uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll cover this on a future episode, but speaking of that, like speaking of rural towns, Remember when In Utero came out and Rape Me was on it, and there was this big controversy. Walmart didn't want to stock it because it was called Rape Me. Right. So at first he was just like, fuck it. We're not going to put it in Walmart. That's fine. And then he changed his mind and changed the title of the song to Waif Me. On Waif Me? Yeah. On, if you find a, a Walmart copy of In Utero, the, the title of the song is Waif Me. Does he change the lyrics on the song no, too? No. Oh. They just wanted him to change it on that. And he said the reason he decided to make that compromise is that places like Walmart are the only places kids who might be into alternative music or punk rock could go to buy music. And if his music, like Mm. if you're, well, no, if you're in one of these tiny rural towns where there's not like indie record stores, sure, there was no internet at the time. I'd also argue. Places like Discord and Touch and Go were doing pretty good on mail order. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, I think that's Kurt's way of saying mm, Daddy wants a little more uh, change in his pocket. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. But well, he was also on a major label by then. They're not going to put up with that mail order bullshit. Well, no, not then. But the, the idea that yeah, that yeah. He, the only way to reach the audience is to put it in Walmart or Target. Right. I'd go. Eh, okay. I. I I get where you're going, and you're tr- you're coming up with a good backstory for it. But really, there was a huge scene of mail order only records where you know, right? You know, sub well, fuck sub pop. Sub yeah. pop was yeah. at th- by the early '90s mostly a mail order, yeah, mail yeah. away uh, record label. Yeah, we're we're almost about to bring that up. Uh, that's, maybe I was foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> foreshadowing alert, everybody. <laughs> So Foster, Dave Foster, Dave the people Hick think Foster. A, people think he's a hick. By this time, Kurt had moved to Olympia. It was a college town. Kurt desperately wants to fit in, like he always does. Uh, they play their first show with Foster on drums in Olympia, and before they even start, a dude in a mohawk jumps up from the crowd, grabs the microphone, and shouts, "Drummers from Aberdeen sure look weird." Jesus Christ! Right? Man. What a bunch of pieces of shit. And uh, Dave Foster doesn't give a fuck. Good for Dave Foster. But Kurt is mortified. Of course he is. Kurt has, like, this is the last thing he wants is to not be perceived as cool by the crowd in Olympia. It's so weird to me. It's so weird. Like, the, the whole punk rock guilt thing is the weirdest thing to me. There are no rules, but here are the rules. And you have to adhere to them. Right. But then you look at guys like the guys in Black Flag, everybody who wasn't Henry Rollins, look like... They were accounting majors. Right. Every one of them. Henry was a, Rollins, to some extent. Eventually, yeah, yeah. But then he got, you know, he got, he became yeah. very obsessed with being not Henry Garfield. So right. he uh, became his own, he became his own myth, you know. But Greg Ginn and Chuck Dukowski and every, that's another band that had every other drummer. Those guys, if you just see photos of them, you go, oh, what a nice young man. Right. And then you're like, oh, and your music is terrifying. Right. Uh, so 
I, I, I don't understand the amount of effort a mohawk guy puts into having a mohawk and then to be like, that guy looks weird. Yeah. yeah. Come on, dude. Fucking cra- crazy. Of course, too, I'm, I'm, I'm harshly judging people who were maybe 20. Yeah, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah exactly. that's one thing that struck me reading this. Like at one point, you know, Kurt's like 22 and still or like 20, 21, 22, still like making fucking music videos in Radio Shack. And you're like, fuck, this guy's going to be dead in five years. Right. Like you're reading this like so much happens between where we are now in this story right. and just the end. It's so insane. But it's also crazy, too. I was thinking about this looking over this version of the story is that you if you read it. This reads like every band who wants to make it big. Right. And most of these stories end with, uh, yeah, that's what I yeah. did when I was younger. And it's like, this worked out for these guys. Right. This, yes, doing the Radio Shack music video was a fucking weird choice, but it right. worked out for them eventually. Yeah. And they had to make missteps along the way. It's, uh, it's, it's like learning how to craft a story. Yeah. You, you got to go down the wrong path a few times so that you can go back and edit. Right. So after this show, Kurt starts putting pressure on Foster to change his appearance. And Dave, do we know what he looked like? Like, I mean, like, I think, I, I mean, to hear him described, he had short hair, he had a big mustache, he wore acid wash jeans and Led Zeppelin t shirts. Like, he looks like everyone I grew up with yeah, in Illinois. I mean, come much. on. I mean, we're talking 87, 88. Yeah. I like, was wearing, I didn't yeah. have the, yeah, I was doing that. But Bugle Boy was big. Yeah. Bugle Boy was big <laughs> in 88, guys. Bugle Boy. I forgot about that shit. <laughs> so, yeah, he, uh, he he puts all this pressure on Dave Foster, and Dave Foster's like, "Look, dude, I have a job. I can't dye my hair green, right? And look like a punk rocker all the time. You're just gonna have to fucking deal with it." Also, Genera makes a good sweater. Yeah. Why are you fighting <laughs> Genera? Exactly. So he uh, th- this becomes kind of a a bone of contention between them. But he he also they finally settle on a name. This when they finally figure it out, Nirvana, and. Uh, with all, as with most of the other decisions he makes that are band related, the rest of the band just found out one day. Oh, nice. We're called Nirvana now. I think it was Dave Foster walked in and saw a flyer that said Nirvana on it. And he was like, Who's Nirvana? <laughs> you <He's> are. Like, <laughs> You're Nirvana. Welcome to the band. Cool. I thought we were fecal matter. I thought we were. <laughs> what was. I keep wanting to say Dick Tit, but I think that's an old uh, uh, butthole surfer's name. Yeah, I've never heard Dick Tit. I mean, but they were Ted, Ed, Fred in the Radio Shack video, I believe. Ted, Ed, Fred. Yeah. Again, I'm judging them harshly. They're 20. They're 20 years old. I had a band called Ass Capsule at one point. Like, who the fuck am I to say Ted, Ed, Fred? <laughs> Ass Capsule. Ass Cap- you know, we were known for harmonies, as you would expect <laughs> with a name like Ass Capsule. Yeah. No one harmonizes like the old <laughs> Ass Capsule. <laughs> So around this time, Jack Endino presses up a bunch of copies of the demos, and Kurt just starts mailing them to every label He's imaginable. He's obsessed with um, touch and go. Touch and go. Yeah. yeah. He, I mean, spams them. Sends them like twelve copies of this demo. Spams them in the, but like physically spams them. Right. You know, like not. This is pre-email where you just be like, oh, this fucking kid won't stop emailing me. Right. This is like the shit just keeps coming, and like the the letters get more and more aggressive and kind of demented. (laughs) Like, why won't you just give us a chance? Like, dude, we're in Chicago. Like, why are yeah? Why are you fixated on us? At one point, he offers to pay. For the recording, right? Like, you can't do that. And then you he pays that money. Then he he offers to pay for a thousand pressings. 
Right. I'll pay for a thousand pressings. How? Travis, I went to uh, print up 250 copies of me and Jeff May's comedy album. It's going to be like 1500 bucks. And that's I can't now. Imagine what a thousand cost back that's then. That's now. Yeah. Right. That's you. Wait, can't were you going to make vinyls of your record? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think we're still going to do it. That's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, huh? I have to have the money first now. Right. Sure. Spendy as fuck. That's but, pretty uh, cool. Uh, that's news to me. I didn't know there was going to be a vinyl version. I think yeah, that's pretty cool. We've been working on it. So uh, he presses up a bunch of these demos. Kurt starts mailing them out. But Jack Andino gives a copy to three different very important people. One is Don Anderson, who's a writer for The Rocket. The other is Shirley Carlson, volunteer DJ on KCMU, uh-huh. University of Washington radio station. Right. And third, and most importantly, Jonathan Poneman, co-owner of Sub Pop Records. And Sub Pop Records is in its infancy at this point, right? Right. They haven't... I, I think they've barely... They haven't really put much out i think they have like a sound garden album that they've put out and right which a means mud honey record that they poached an sst band because Soundgarden was originally on sst right and then yeah. they're like no come come stay home boys stay here be hometown heroes yeah what's what's super interesting is that of all the labels that kurt thought to mail these albums to he never bothered mailing one to sub pop that's how obscure Sub Pop was at this time. Right. Like, Kurt is in the same state and doesn't even think to hit these people. Because if I remember correctly, they're not even a year old at this point, right? Right. I mean, that's essentially just a couple of dudes in a garage going like, what if we had a record label? Yeah. I got a name, and I figured that was probably about it, right? Yeah. I mean, you and I right now could, in theory, start a record label and that we'd go, hey, I got a name. We'll call it uh, Pub Pop. Right. And it's all just pub bands. <laughs> we'll yeah. Just, we'll work on it. Boom, we have a record label. That's probably about as much as Sub Pop was. Yeah. So he he sends this demo to these three people. Dawn Anderson, she's a writer for The Rocket. She writes a... She's so impressed with the demo that she decides to write an article and review it. I just love that, like, finally, writing for The Rocket, you're like, oh, the sweet swag I get for being a yeah. rocket, a staff <laughs> rocket writer. And, that, and this is, like, their first, you know press their first media attention but he's mailing off the the vinyls to everybody in addition to these i think they're tapes oh okay yeah because i was like if it's that expensive like what are you doing dude yeah no i think i think they were tapes uh shirley carlson she plays the the demo or plays some of the songs on the university of washington radio station which gives them their first radio play nice and jonathan poneman is so impressed he decides he wants to check them out to maybe sign them and this is everything Kurt has ever dreamed of. Except for the part about it being Sub Pop. Right. <laughs> that right. part was yeah. like, well. Has almost no idea who Sub Pop is. Uh, but, but before he Poneman contacts Kurt, he takes the tape to his partner, Bruce ha- Pavitt, who is working his day job at the Muzak Tape Duplicating Room, which is apparently oh a God. very common and popular day job among Seattle musicians at the time. So they're just dubbing just Muzak versions of dubbing Muzak versions of songs to mail dupli- out, duplicating them even right. like not even yeah, just which and, and the mail- kind of a chill job, right? And then what you're mailing that out to offices everywhere so yeah. that they have so they have their Muzak. Oh my God, what a ch- that would be. I would do that now. Sure. Extra money. I'd be way into that. Burn some CDs, whatever. But he uh, he takes- Upload some MP3s. 
<laughs> uh, your Muzak server is full, sir. <laughs> he takes this tape, and uh, there's some local musicians there, including Mark Arm of Mud Honey. Mark Arm. Who gives it a vehement thumbs down Uh-oh. and called them similar to Skin Yard, but not as good. Uh, okay. Yeah. But where's Skin Yard now? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Name your five favorite Skin Yard albums. Go. Go. We'll give you the hour. <laughs> <laughs> Get back to us. Exactly. You put that in Google. Google goes, huh? <laughs> no one knows who Skin Yard is, Mark Arm. Yeah. Skin Yard's one of those things where you Google it and then people are like, do not Google, Google Skin Yard. Dude. Oh my God. I'm on so many watch lists now for Googling <laughs> Skin Yard. You do, don't click the images. So even though everyone in the Muzak room hates it, Poneman calls up Kurt anyway and asks if he can play a sub-pop Sundays show at the Vogue in Seattle. Mm. And this is this is Kurt's first performance in Seattle. He's super excited. Gets there early. Uh, kind of a running theme through their early shows. Not that great. They have technical difficulties. Sure. Because you have to think about how new this band was. Like, they were... They just were, starting out. They were just starting, but also in one of the old, old documentaries, like like mid-90s, there's video of Kurt playing like in a bedroom before they yeah. were, and like he wouldn't even turn around. Yeah, he's facing the wall. Yeah, he's the terrified. Time. So I think that's on the With the Lights Out box. Is it? Set. Okay. I think that because there's a DVD on that, and I think it might be on that. I want to say I watched it on the Kurt and Courtney thing or when they were trying to oh, solve yeah. the mystery of they ever solve that? I don't think so. Hmm. I think the mystery was, why did I pay $15 for this movie? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, Sub Pop had barely been in existence by this point, but they were in existence. And at, at this point, they were mostly releasing singles. Right, because that was still a thing. I think it's still a thing. You can oh, yeah. join the singles club and they mail out right. actual vinyl seven inches to you. Right, right. Because uh, I, I have some from 20-ish years ago. Um, it was a big deal. Like, but at this point, it was probably one of the first ones, right? Yeah, I think I think around that time, mail order and like like singles among punk rock types are really like sought after. Like, they're right. a thing with with punk acts. And the whole reason it was a big deal was that most people had moved on from vinyl at this point, right? So it was the cheaper way to do it, right? Because it was a dead technology that no one wanted anymore. So that's why the seven inch became like the the yeah the punk rock go to format because it was like this is the cheapest way we can do it, right? But the other reason Sub Pop only puts out singles at this time because it doesn't make business sense because singles apparently the production costs are the same as an LP. What? Yeah, yeah. Like to have it printed up and produced. It costs as much as a full-length LP, and they sell for a lot less. But Sub Pop, all of the bands they had signed, none of them had enough songs to record an album. <laughs> like, they were all so new that they were just putting out singles. Except for Kurt, who apparently, like, writes a song every hour. Right. And this becomes a problem, because they uh, they play the show, and it's kind of a disaster. But Jonathan Poneman's like, it's fine. I still want to work with you. And they schedule a, a meeting with Jonathan Poneman. And this is another oh god, this recurring theme this. in their, their story. Oh, my God. Uh, Chris shows up drunk and still drinking a bottle of wine that he's stashed under the table. Come on, man. You know, as one does when you're meeting with a record executive. I mean, I get it. it. I get it. It's rock and roll. But also, come on, man. Right. 
And Kurt shows up at first. He's really shy and withdrawn. Uh-huh. And then finds out that Jonathan Poneman just wants to release a single. Uh-oh. Whereas Kurt's wanting to put out like albums and EPs just right out of the Kurt's gate. Kurt's got a triple album that's ready to go. <laughs> and he gets angry. Uh, but somehow out of this, they still agree to record a single. I want to know the nuance of that conversation. <laughs> like how yeah. do you, you show up with a nine foot tall drunk man who won't stop <laughs> drinking and a shy reserved guy who none of these people are proven. None of these people are like road dogs who are like, right. you know, we, Oh, we're, we're just this amazing live band at this point. And then they're like, well, we're thinking of doing a single. And then the little one is angry and the bigger one's drunker. Right. Like there's, how do you, how do you leave that meeting going? But I still want to work with you. Yeah. Even worse, they, he he wants to do Love Buzz as the first single, and Kurt's like, well, I didn't write that, and I want my first single to not be a cover. <sighs> but no one knows that. Right, yeah, you know? no, one, no one knew Love Buzz. And even if, it's such a cool cover. It like, is, and it's got that cool bass lead in it. Yeah. Wait, is, is, uh, is Foster with him at this point, or is it just the two of them? Are they a two-headed beast in the meeting? Funny you should ask. Dave Foster is not with him at the meeting, uh, but he's still in the band, but back in Gray's Harbor... Dave Foster gets in a fight with the son of the mayor of the nearby town, Cosmopolis, and puts no. him in the hospital. No, 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 no. First of all, that's not a real town. <laughs> exactly. Cosmopolis? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Cosmopolis. I mean, I feel like that's just seven hippies in a tent. <laughs> probably. We're in Cosmopolis, bro. And that's probably why Dave Foster beat <laughs> yeah. the shit out of one of them. Get a real job, hippie. <laughs> yeah. So he gets arrested, loses his license for two weeks. He has to pay a ton of medical bills and just medical. Oh, he really fucked that guy up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He beat the shit out of this kid. I want to say I want to imagine it was just like Nirvana. What a dumb name. You son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So Kurt decides to fire him, but doesn't really tell him yet. Oh, man. Doesn't ever actually tell him. But we'll we'll get to it in one second. But first, because drummers just come and go in this band, they briefly replace him with Aaron Burkhart who immediately gets a DUI in Kurt's car. So Kurt's like, okay, well, you're not the drummer either anymore. So now they're back to not having a drummer. Oh, my God. I like to imagine this all happens in an afternoon. You know, like if you condense the timeline to like, yeah. oh, our drummer just like put a guy in the hospital and he's going to, we got a new guy. <laughs> well, he just got a DUI. Well, we're back to not having a drummer. Yeah, it's crazy. It's happening. only 3 p.m. <laughs> So Kurt tries to fire Dave Foster by mail, or he has the idea to fire Dave Foster. Are we going to read this whole letter? I don't know about the whole letter, but there's some stuff in it that that I just think is amazing. This letter is in the journals book, if anyone wants to go out there and read it. And it's long- I mean, it is a law. It is. It is like breaking up with a girlfriend. Yeah, and 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 like he keeps changing his mind in the letter. Let's read. I, I'll I'll read people the gist. Quick, okay, and then it. you run through some of the the highlights. Okay, this is basically these few sentences are basically the gist of this letter. A band needs to practice. In our opinion, at least five times a week, if the band ever expects to accomplish anything. That's not a bad. Yeah, it's probably true. Instead of lying to you by saying we're breaking up or letting this go any further, we have to admit that we've got another drummer. His name is Chad, and he can make it to practice every day. Oh, you son of a bitch. Most importantly, we can relate to him. Let's face it. You're totally from a different culture. They're from the same town. Uh Uh-huh. And we feel really shitty that we don't have the guts to tell you in person, but we don't know how mad you'd get. What a piece of shit. It's awful. Yeah. It is awful. So- 
some of the things that uh, that he do, that uh, when he's saying that like a band has to get together five times a week, he goes, "We're tired of the uncertainty every time we play." Thinking, "Are we going to suck? Are we tight yet? Are we tight yet? <laughs> Are we tight yet?" <laughs> Kurt Cobain wanted to know if we're tight yet. <laughs> um, and then he's never, never tight. Yeah, and it's true. That's one thing they were he not. He died. With, yeah, he died with that wish unfulfilled. Yeah. Sad. Dear Bada, <laughs> were we ever tight? <laughs> no, Kurt. And I'm still in Vietnam. So oh, Bada! <laughs> oh, my God. Bada is like a POW, but of like imaginary We got to get Bada on this podcast. I'll, I, I put some calls out. I don't, we'll see if he can get on. Hey, you know what? Co-host Bada <laughs> joining us right now. Uh-huh. Bada, tell us about your time in Nam. Cool. That sounds awful. Um then he gets into uh, the minutia of like uh, the two main reasons are Chris and his work and your location. Sure. Chris can eventually alter his work schedule and at least practice every week. When we started with you, you claimed you could make it four times a week. <laughs> He's so mad. <laughs> and here we are, July and August, and it wouldn't be a problem for you. We, are, we were very hesitant. But so he goes on about how Aberdeen and he's like, I know it gets on your nerves that you have to drive a lot. I know that. <laughs> and I know it's hard to get people to drive you, but, but you made a, pr- it's basically like, but you promised. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and meanwhile, it's worth mentioning. Kurt has a car at this time, right? He could just go pick him up and bring him back. Probably. And then when they're talking about Chad, they kind of do like, I mean, it really is like breaking up with somebody. They say, his name is Chad. He's from Tacoma. Like they make a point <laughs> to go and he can make it to practice every He's, night. Very nice. And he noticed the highlights in my hair. <laughs> I didn't have to ask him if he liked my new haircut. I did them with Kool-Aid. Uh, then he goes on about saying like, oh, you're actually like a really good drummer. So stick with it. You know, like trying to be like, we hope you like stick with it. Just not with us. Like, yeah. you're just you're good for you. You're Meanwhile, good. he's probably the only right. real musician right. in the band at this point. Please let us know. When it's in your convenience for us to bring your drums and mic down. <laughs> Why can't you just go pick them up for practice? Yeah. Uh, when you want to discuss this with us, call. Sorry, Kurt Chris. <laughs> so that's that's the letter that Kurt never mails. Yeah. Oh, then wait. Sorry. Um, uh, and if you wouldn't mind, we would like to suggest to other bands looking for drummers to check you out because your talent Shouldn't go to waste. Mm. Yeah, you're not right for us. <laughs> However, whatever Hickville per- person wants to play guitar is yeah. looking for somebody. You know, maybe there's a good CCR cover band <laughs> looking for a drummer out there. So yeah, Kurt never mails this letter. Dave Foster finds out he's fired when he sees an ad for an upcoming Nirvana show in oh. an issue of the Rocket. One more thing they they put a PS to his girlfriend. What PS, Lori? Thanks for driving Dave up all the time. <laughs> I know it's an awful drive. Uh, and Shelly and I really enjoyed spending time with you while they were while we were practicing. Call us sometime. We can get together and do something. Oh, cute. We'll have brunch. But what a piece of shit. Keep Dave Foster away from us. Yeah. But we could go to like, you know, get coffee. Yeah. Maybe do some heroin. P.S. Hand this to your girlfriend. I'm going to start talking to her now. <laughs> Don't read it. So Kurt never mails the letter. Uh, Dave Foster finds out he's fired in an issue of The Rocket. They hire Chad Channing as their drummer. 
And on June 11th, 1988, they returned to Reciprocal Studios to record their first official single. Wait, when? June? June 11th, 1988. This letter's dated um, uh, uh, May 24th of 88. <laughs> <laughs> like two weeks later jesus man they move fast they really do so they eventually come out of those sessions with love buzz a uh, a new version of spank through and big cheese and blandest which i don't know that one i do know i like it a lot a lot of people one i i read a like review or comment on it once where Someone said the song really lives up to its name. Blandish. Yeah, but I actually like I always thought it was a good, cool song. You, you've heard it. You okay. probably just don't recognize the title. But uh, shortly after recording, Poneman reveals to Kurt that he has plans to start a singles club and that Love Buzz will be the first release in that series. And Kurt is bummed. Because it's not his song. And it's not going to be album. in stores. Oh. He wanted it to be in stores. Like he appreciated the collectible angle, but was also like, I'd really rather people just be able to go buy it. So, wow, he goes very much against the punk rock ethos of wanting to be a rock, right. rock star. Right. It's not about having your photo on stuff. It's not about having all of that stuff. But he's like, no, I would like my photo on things, and I would like to walk into a store and see my face. Yeah. And we, it, we, it would be criminal of us to not mention this. If you find a copy of that original Love Buzz single, oh yeah, they they made a thousand of them. Kurt and Chris took a hundred, and there are I think seven hundred and fifty numbered copies, and then two hundred and fifty that just have the number thing crossed Ooh. out. But they're all super rare. Uh, if you can track down an original copy, there are versions on eBay right now selling for five thousand dollars. You know what? Fuck the cheapest one's twenty five hundred. Forget Bitcoin. Invest in Love Buzz singles. Exactly. That's where your money yeah. should be going. Yeah. This yeah, this is this podcast has really made me like now I get eBay notifications about yeah. like really expensive rare Nirvana albums. Yeah, and every now and then I'll 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 find something and send it your way. Where I'll be like, Oh, we should yeah. probably put this up on the studio wall. Probably buy it. Yeah, what yeah. was it? You just sent me something. It was what a heart shaped box like seven inch single that had oh, been framed yeah. and all the you know, it's like it wasn't it wasn't five thousand dollars, but it also wasn't like, oh, I have that money laying right, around right. to put on a seven inch that's already been shadow boxed. Yeah, you know, I don't, <laughs> don't necessarily have that. Okay, so the uh, so the this while they're waiting for the single to come out, they play two really important shows, and this is this is kind of where we'll this will be our ending point. Doom, doom, doom. I like how we said like four episodes ago that we're going to cover the recording of Bleach next. We will. And we just haven't. Look, we're ne coming up on it. That's next. Next. Ne next is subjective. You know, right. I mean, next is down the line. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like when you watch a, a, a big arcing series and they go coming up this season and they give you like snippets of what's coming. You know, yeah. So that's. It's next. Yeah. yeah, it's next. It's not. We're not going to go back and retcon this thing. Yeah. Like put it in, in backwards. It, that would be funny. though. That would be interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, they recorded Bleach. It was their first episode. Was about Bleach. <laughs> you didn't see that one. Uh. So while waiting for the single to come out, Nirvana plays two really important shows. First, they open for the Butthole Surfers, mm -hmm. and Kurt idolized Gibby Haynes. Who doesn't? And so that show boosts his confidence tremendously. Even though, again, shitty show that didn't go that well. But more importantly, they play a party in Evergreen's K dorm on the day before Halloween. This is an interesting story to me because it's I hard. K 
K is K dorm like an actual dorm at that school? I think so. Because yeah. I thought it was a radio station. Like, you're listening to K D O R M. Yeah, no, all I college radio. Yeah, I think it's a dorm at the school. Okay, it wasn't super clear, and maybe they explain what it is earlier, and I just missed it. But uh, first of all, Kurt and Chris paint their necks red. And at first, I was for, like, "Huh? Oh, oh, I get it. I get necks. it. Okay, okay." Sure, antagonize the audience off the bat. You don't <laughs> exactly. have a fan base yet. Let's just alienate people. <laughs> and uh, so Nirvana's supposed to go up last, and they've already had a string of really shitty, chaotic shows. And while they're waiting to go up, a fight breaks out among the opening act. Like, the drummer gets up and punches the lead singer in the face. I've been to those parties. A damn near riot breaks out, and the police show up and threaten to shut things down. But Ryan Eggner, who we talked about a few episodes back, right. uh, his band was playing also, and he somehow talks the police into letting Nirvana play before That's the party ends. Amazing. Look, I know we're disturbing the peace. These guys are, look, just, they, there's some, I don't know it's what Kurt it is. Cobain, there's something about them. It's compelling. <laughs> I don't know. Are they tight yet? I don't know. I'm not sure. We have to see. You have to, we got to find out if they're tight, officer. Please, please. And somehow this this show turns Nirvana into one of the most beloved bands in Olympia. They never really explain what it is, but they, they say Kurt played with an intensity and focus no one had seen before. His enthusiasm rubs off on Chris. Chris is killing it. The band just fucking murders. Sounds like they're playing tight. Yeah, they, they were finally tight. That's and nice. Everyone in... Uh, Olympia all of a sudden sees this sh- who saw this show is telling people about it and people love Nirvana. Also, first time Kurt breaks his guitar on stage, which that became a as you put in the notes, very expensive. That's habit. an expensive habit to have, yeah. you even, know. Even if you're smashing cheap guitars. Yeah, even a, a Walmart first act is going to set you back 100 bucks. Right. Even. And then because you can't cobble especially a cheap guitar, you can't cobble back together. Like right. a good guitar you can be like, "Well, I could probably use this neck again and I just screw it on something." Yeah. Like when he would smash the shit out of guitars, like you just I like it from the aesthetic of like, oh, look, the, right. the guy who's willing to destroy the thing he loves because he's so into it. And there's another part of me that's a guitar lover who's like, I would have bought that. I would have. Yeah. Let me have that. Apparently, the people at this show gathered up the shards of the guitar. So maybe one of those will pop up on eBay oh, someday. You know, you know what? Buy it. Drive it through Courtney Love's heart. Oh, finally. Uh, put fi- the, yeah, and then she turns to dust yeah, and, and finally she, we're done. Right. Oh, yeah. my God. Fixed. I have to cut her head off, face it north, fill it full of grain. I mean, that's that's the you way you do what you have to yeah, do. That's how you, know? you kill a vampire. So, and you have her release the uh, artistic rights that she holds. Right. That is, of course, the other way. <laughs> exactly. You kill a vampire. So three weeks later, they finally get the call that the single's ready. Uh, it comes out. It's got inside jokes on it. Kurt's name is spelled with a D, which I guess was just an inside joke. Oh, there's also in the run out groove, uh, the message. Why don't you trade those guitars in for shovels? Jesus, which is something Kurt's dad used to say to him. That is so fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. That is just such a like, okay, Don, why don't you get rid of the fucking Camaro <laughs> the family Camaro? Huh? <laughs> really? You want me to trade in the guitar? Oh, I need to be more responsible. Don. Like, come on. I still don't know if the turtles or the family Camaro are my favorite <laughs> detail from this whole podcast so far. Just seeing that phrase, the family Camaro. The family there Camaro. There is no such thing. Camaro no. does not make a family model. That is insane. Don't you say that. You are just putting your child at risk is all you're doing because you're refusing to adapt. We all age. Yeah. Don. 
Come on, Don. What if Don's still alive? I want to say he is. I think he is. I mean, one of them died. I think one of the parents died. I mean, emotionally years ago. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, they've been yeah. dead inside since yeah. the seventies. If yeah, this book taught us anything, yeah, they they hated each other, and the and their daughter should have been a son. I mean, we all learned that <laughs> really, really early on. So one last super duper Kurt Cobain moment to to end this story. Kurt gets these singles and drops one off at KCMU, thinking. They're just going to start playing it where we did that show at the dorm. Everyone, right. Everyone loves everyone us loves now. us. People collected the shards of my guitar. And he waits hours and they never play it. He's finally in the car uh, driving, makes his girlfriend pull over so he can go to a payphone, calls and requests his own song. Right. Which the DJ had to be like, we just got this yeah. today. How do you know about this song? Oh, they're really good. Yeah, I've I just, heard good things about them. Oh, you have it? No yeah. way. Wow. Wow, that's so cool. Oh, it's cool you have that. Yeah. You want to play it? Maybe check it yeah, out. Yeah, maybe check it. Maybe, maybe play it a lot. Yeah. I mean, look, I can relate. I've reviewed podcasts <laughs> I've produced. You're like, this is great. These people should have more listeners. You know, I I've, still haven't done that for mine. I oh, go, don't. Go don't. Do I don't know. Don't, because you have to, because if you do it under your actual thing, yeah, it's like yeah. very, it's like, oh. And then the sad thing of like, I'm going to create another one. <laughs> it, it, like you're the Russian government. Right, exactly. Sock of I mean, puppet accounts. I will say it works. Because every now and then, uh, the first podcast I was ever uh, uh, produced and co-hosted, I went back and I was like, man, this is a really nice review. Oh, wait. This was familiar. Uh, Oh, I wrote this. (laughs) (laughs) That's me. That's me calling in saying, will you play my single? Yeah. But they do. They played a single 30 minutes later. And uh, it's the first time Kurt hears himself on the radio. He's super excited. Not long after that, Jonathan Poneman calls Kurt and tells him he wants to talk about releasing a full-length album. And that's what we'll talk about on the next it's history episode. All coming up, Cobain. We're finally getting to the recording oh, of Bleach. Everything. Look, Kurt's future is so bright. I don't see how it could possibly go wrong. Yeah, this is such an upward trajectory. Yeah, everything's right going to work out great. His dreams are coming true. I just, I, I can't wait to see where this story goes. So much potential. I, I, I mean, I just imagine this is going to all wrap up with rainbows. Yeah, it's going to be great. Oh, I'm so excited. All right, this was fun. It was fun. This was a good episode. Another, next- another good chunk of the story revealed right. and next week we're talking about the best nirvana covers but uh by that we mean covers by other bands right even though they because it is a just it, to get people get confused because nirvana did so many covers right but this right. is other people doing nirvana's material yeah we're gonna talk about the best and worst because there's some shitty ones out and, there. and uh perhaps the ones i am uh bringing in are to be d in terms of <laughs> are they the best are they the worst maybe they straddle the line Oh, I'm sure they're great. All right, let's get out of here. Do you have anything plugged? Uh, fucking uh, no. Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, I'm doing the Unpop show in September. Yeah, uh, the, the Unpop show every. Uh, the, we're doing it bi-weekly, starting Wednesday, August 23rd, and then every other Wednesday after that. And I have other shows. I just don't know what they are. So yeah, just yeah. follow me on the uh, on the on the socials. I'm at Mr. Travis Clark at Mr. Travis Clark, and uh, follow Unpops on Instagram and Twitter. Subscribe on Patreon. Do all those good things. You have five dollars. You have five dollars. Give it to us. Yeah, give us five dollars and help out and rate and review the show. Yeah, because uh, that helps. Yes, absolutely. Because I'm not going to do it because I've I've done that already in the past and it just feels weird. <laughs> all right. Let's get out of here. I'm out of here. Travis, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.